Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. I'm gonna begin a series today so that each day, each weekend as we approach Christmas, we're gonna take those four redemptive names given to Jesus and take each one each week finalizing the Prince of Peace on Christmas Eve. And I hope everybody will pack up and be here for multiple services on Christmas Eve. It usually is jammed, and we trust you can find someone to bring with you and share good news. We won't embarrass you in any way. It's good news. We'll be on time. We got special presentations and music for everybody, so we're glad to have you join us in that. So part one today, wonderful counselor. The sweetest sound on earth is your own name spoken by a friend. We all love to hear our name. If you ever hear me say, hey, bro, how are you doing? I don't know your name. <laughs> say, hey, Rick, I'm Bill or I'm George. Uh, I go to Summit. If we're out in a restaurant or shopping mall or something, it's a big help because I don't get to interact with everybody, so I'm not like my wife with a photographic memory. I'll just say, hey, gorgeous, how are you? <laughs> I won't say that to the guys. I'll say, hey, bro. Good to see you. So we love, don't we? We love to hear our own name. Sweetest sound in the world. A name in the Bible days indicated character. And by the way, sometimes occupation, like Hadib. Hadib means a tinsmith. Ten it you were named according to what you did and, or what your character was. So the Hebrew word for name is shim. That word comes from a root word meaning to set a mark. So a child was named for something that marked him. When Hannah prayed and prayed and prayed for a child in her long time of barrenness, and God finally answered her, she named the son Samuel, which meant asked of God. And she stayed with it a long, long time. Many times a name would become synonymous with fame, renown, heroism, such as the name of David. God himself blessed the name of David, saying, I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I've made you a great name like the name of great men who are upon the earth. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, unfortunately, a name could come to represent evil. I mean, few mamas are going to name their daughter Jezebel or their sons Ahab, or Benedict Arnold. I don't think so. In the Old Testament, God revealed his name to Moses as Jehovah, Yahweh. I am who I am. So the name of Yahweh was so crucial in Hebrew worship that devout Jews recited it twice a day. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. It was the first verse taught to Hebrew children. Parents in that day wanted their kids to hear and confess the name of the Lord before they learned anything else in life. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. 
Set a model for your children while they're young. Make church, praising God, prayer, concern, compassion. Make that a norm in your home when children are little. In Isaiah 9, we see recorded those four prophetic glorious names of Jesus given 700 years before his birth. Now, let me pause and say this. I've preached, you've heard, we all have, about the powerful God we love and serve, how he can do a suddenly or a quick work. He has, and he still will. However, for balance, it is important to know that our God builds and thinks generationally. He builds, he looks away to the future beyond you, or maybe the children that you have now to a fourth or fifth generation. And that takes time. And we're Americans. We don't have any time. Do it now. Sometimes things don't go quick. But God is always working his perfect will behind the scenes, even when you don't feel it or don't see it. So be, be, be aware that sometimes there's a long pause while God works out things behind the scenes that we know nothing about. So here's that verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those words clearly predict that Jesus would have a physical, natural birth through the womb of a woman. That God would become a man in the incarnation. For unto us, a child is born. So he took our flesh, our bone, but not our blood. His was sinless, and he became a man. And by the way, it says he was touched with every kind of infirmity or feeling so that you and I would know whatever you're facing, he had already faced it. Don't ever say to the Lord, well, you, just, you just don't understand. He was tempted in all points like as we are. The only difference was he didn't sin. So he does know what you feel. He does know betrayal. He does know rejection. He does know loneliness. He knows everything you're going through. That's why, you know, if I was going to minister to roaches, I'd have to become a roach. I'd have to talk roach talk. I'd have to behave like a roach. Well, God became a man, so he had to limit himself to talk to us. It would, if he didn't, it would be like plugging 220 in a 110 outlet and you'd blow it up. So we got to step it down a little bit so we can catch it. Furthermore, he was not only a child born, he's a son given. Now, for those of you that like theology, that shows that Jesus was pre-existent before he ever became flesh. He always existed. So he is the son of God given, and he would be given as a sacrifice for man's sin. I recall a story from World War II of a man whose leg had to be amputated, and the physician said to him, man, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to take your leg. And the soldier replied, no, sir, I'm giving my leg for my country. Well, that perspective changed the whole situation. And Jesus made his perspective clear when he said this, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. 
Don't get an idea poor old Jesus became a victim on the cross. That was his destiny. That was his purpose before he ever became a man to redeem you and I. He could have coughed and destroyed all the kingdom of Rome. He could have put everybody to flight. He said, I can call 12 legions of angels. I can be worse than dirty Harry. Go ahead, make my day. Nobody took anything from Jesus. He gave it willingly. That prophetic verse also continues that the government shall be upon his shoulder. All authority would be granted to him. This son who was given would rise to become the regent of the universe. And not only does he have authority over the government of all creation, the planet, and all the ages, but he can be Lord over every one of us as well. See, Jesus didn't come to take part in our life. He came to take over our life, to give us the government of God, the rule of God in our lives. Who rules on the throne of your will? Can you say in every situation, not my will, but thy will be done? That takes a little guts and boldness and confidence in the goodness of our God. That's total surrender. Every time we try to control our own lives, it usually ends up in a big mess. Let Christ have the rule or government of your heart. His name is wonderful. So Isaiah tried within the limits of the human language to relate the character of this coming king through four names. And the first of these is Wonderful Counselor. Let's begin, as Isaiah did, with his description of this word, wonderful, that comes from the Hebrew people, which refers to supernatural power, something that cannot be explained in terms of human planning. Having Jesus in your life means it becomes a life filled with wonder and surprise. Now, they say wonder. The King James in 1611 had the Bible put together in their culture and in their language. We probably today would say, awesome, man. Whoa, that was spectacular. Holy Moses. Okay, King James said wonderful. That just doesn't cut it, does it? No, he was awesome. In Luke 2, verse 18, we find recorded the response of those who heard the shepherd's report about the birth of Jesus. And it said, all those who heard this report marveled at those things that were told them by the shepherds. So what a display of marvel and wonder, all those touched by the news of Messiah's birth. I don't know if you're old enough, you older people can remember one of those old church hymns that said, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Remember that? So Jesus is wonderful, awesome in his person. For example, it was just another wedding till Jesus showed up and transformed it into the wedding of the century by turning water into Merlot or Cabernet Sauvignon, whatever your pleasure. Meaning whatever he touches changes for the better. If you come to Jesus, you don't get worse. You get better. Your outside looks the same, but the way you think, the way you act, the way you behave totally changes. I want to, I didn't do this in the first service, but this is a good point. I was raised 
with a mom that took me to a Baptist church. I learned a lot of good things. I didn't, never had insecurity about my salvation, many, about God's word being true, none of that. But a whole lot was left out. And I thought it's real important to know you don't say, well, that's, that's Baptist or, well, that's Episcopalian or, well, that's Pentecostal. For example, clap your hands, oh, you people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Excuse me, that's for every Christian. I don't care if you're a Presbyterian or an Episcopal person. You, that is clear scripture. Lift your hands, oh, you people, in the sanctuary and praise his name. That's for you too, Sparky. Everybody. That's not Pentecostal. That's not charismatic. Now, they, they probably do that, but it's mine. I'm a follower of Jesus. That Bible is written to every follower of Jesus. And if God says, hey, any of you sick, let him call for the elders of a church. Let them anoint him with oil and pray a prayer of faith. I can't heal anybody, but I can pray for you. And we can see some people made well. Well, does everybody get well? No, everybody doesn't get saved. But we preach salvation every week. You give me a piece of you legalism. I'll take you one-on-one, -on -one, mono mono with Scripture, and eat you for life. You, th this just irks me. Well, we're Baptists. We don't do that. We don't shout. Well, then just disobey Scripture. Just disobey clear Scripture. Now, get you some of that. How are you going to walk around that? I remember a guy setting me down, and we went through that Bible chapter by chapter. He said, what does that say, Rick? What does that mean, Rick? And I mean, it was like a slap in the face. And I said, we don't do any of that. He said, you're a supernatural created being in Christ Jesus, clothed in supernatural power, indwelt by the Holy Spirit that raised the dead body of Jesus from the grave. For God's sake, there ought to be something supernatural occasionally happening in your life. You're not a victim. I've given you authority. I've given you weapons. I've given you my word. Now use it. Quit sucking your thumb and taking pills. Take some authority over that depression or anxiety and speak to it just like Jesus did. I'm sorry for preaching, but my background was Baptist, so I have a good theological background, but we probably put the Holy Spirit because of the misbehavior and extremism of a few, and we just rejected the whole thing. And as a result, we live pretty pitiful, mediocre lives when we ought to be doing a whole lot better. Peter and his fishing pals thought they knew it all and had it all. You know, they would have lived unremarkable, unknown lives, except one day they went fishing with Jesus and were never, ever the same. No doubt as they watched their nets break under a miraculous catch of fish. Remember, they had fished all night and caught nothing. Some of you guys know what that's like. And Jesus just made a statement, throw your net on the other side. And Peter's thinking, logic, well, my God, that's only four feet. What? What we fished all night. If there were any fish around here, we'd have snagged something. That's what they were thinking, but they didn't tell Jesus that. Okay, at your word, I will let down my net, singular. <laughs> he didn't want to totally disobey. He just didn't throw out all the nets because he had fished all night and caught nothing, so it must not work, and threw it on the other side, and then they got such a catch of fish, the nets started to break. And they looked at Jesus and exclaimed, wonderful, wonderful. I mean, we would have said, holy Moses, awesome, spectacular. Did you see that? Pete, why didn't you throw the other nets in? Holy cow. Now that's how I would respond. Yeah. Storms are pretty common. Try this one out. Storms are pretty common on the Sea of Galilee. It's a big lake. 
But, but at night, they had one night, the disciples found themselves in a bad storm. And these guys knew uh, how to fish. How to, they, these were like deadliest catch, if you ever watched that on, on the TV series. These are tough, rugged people. They're not little wussies. They don't manicure their fingernails. And they probably use some pretty strong language. So they've been used to that, but this one freaked them out. This one was going to capsize the boat, coming over it, and they got terrified. And they went and woke up the master who was asleep. He didn't, hadn't taken any Ambien or uh, melatonin. <coughs> Jesus laid down undisturbed. And they hurried to wake him. Master, we're going to die if you don't get up and do something. And he said, where is your faith? As he scratched his eyes and stood up. And he just spoke into the wind and the waves, peace, be still. It was flat as glass. That would set my hair on fire if I'd been watching this. Say, what? I don't think they would have said wonderful. I think they'd have said, oh, my God. Whoa, that's awesome power that even the wind and the waves obey him. Man, I love that. So they were in awe that even nature obeyed him. Jesus would take a common lily and make it as important as a king. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 29, Solomon, in all of his glory, was never dressed like one of these. Then he would point to an ordinary bird, a sparrow, and say, boys, don't you wish you had that kind of freedom in your life? You think those birds are worried about anything? And if I took care of a dumb bird, don't you think I'll take care of you? Stop worrying and trust me. And that's for somebody listening now. Don't you fret with that anxiety. That is a declaration God's not in control. He's in control of everything. In him we live, move, and have our being. And he loves you. Don't try to control your life yourself. You basically have to say, Jesus, you got my back. I'm going to move on. Whatever I have in front of me, whatever circumstances are there, you've got my back. You will never leave me, never forsake me. I don't care if it's stage four cancer. Until I take my last breath, that fight's not over. God's intervened many times. Does he always? No, sometimes you go on to heaven. God's got a plan. I don't know what that plan is. I just know I'm going to fight to the last breath of my life. I'm not going to give the enemy a freebie. Say, lay down and walk over me, devil. No. We're supposed to resist the enemy. And I'm sucking your thumb and whining is not resisting the enemy. Throw, unpin that hand grenade and throw God's word at him. Every time the devil came to Jesus, he said, get behind me. It is written. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Get yourself to the coffee table. Open that Bible. Start in the Psalms and read it. And read that chapter to yourself and make a note. You will not worry about a thing. Have concern, of course, but you will not be in total anxiety or depression or fear. Why? Your mind is being stayed on him, and it will hold you. I promise you it will. Jesus was also wonderful in his person. He was wonderful in his passion. You know, he's the only human being who ever lived on earth who had the legal right not to die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but he didn't have any sin. 
when he willingly gave himself up on the cross, it says the rocks broke open. The sun went dark and hid its light. And the tombs of all saints were opened and they came out and went into town. Get you some of that. How would you like to open the door and it's George, you died four years ago. I've remarried. Here's my husband. <laughs> See, we just read the Bible and don't get into it. And I'm thinking, what? I bet people died when they opened the door and they saw, it's Ralph. It's my, or it's my wife or whatever. I thought she was gone forever, but well, it looks like she's back. <laughs> I, I, I like to visualize these scriptures. I mean, wouldn't you think that would create a lot of buzz? I mean, really? I mean, COVID got buzz. You think if the graves were opening and CNN and Fox were filming that baby, it'd go all over the world? Holy cow. No, we didn't have a solar eclipse. No, I don't know. It just went dark. And I don't know why. We didn't have an earthquake, but the rocks were all breaking up. But there was an earthquake, and it shook it. And then the tombs opened, and Jesus was the first out of the resurrection. And I thought, I'd love to see a video of that. It just encouraged me about the dynamic power of our God. But Jesus then, without sin, bore the sin of the whole world in his own body. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I've got an imputed legal righteousness. Don't ask my wife. I, don't, I didn't earn it. It's been legally given to me, imputed to me. I am righteous. The enemy doesn't want me to believe that so he can torment me, walk on me, and I feel like, well, I, what right do I have? You got all the right in the universe. Jesus said you have got a legal declared righteousness because of faith in me. The enemy knows it. You don't, Sparky. Read your Bible. Get you a cup of coffee, sit down, and start reading that Bible. And don't read Leviticus. You read the Psalms or Proverbs or John. You read something that will bring life to you to start with right now. And if I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray scripture. I can't pray in error. I can't pray amiss. I'm praying the word of God. You need to memorize some scriptures, especially if you're going through a crisis, what are scriptures related to it? And until you memorize it, write them down on a legal pad and walk around the house in your bathrobe and a cup of coffee and say it out loud. I am the righteousness of God. I am begotten of God. The wicked one touches me not. I am blood-bought, redeemed, justified, sanctified child of the Most High God. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. No plague shall come near my dwelling. Well, that's how I pray. You say, well, that's because you're the preacher. You're nuts. I prayed like this, importing and exporting. Are you kidding me? When I found out as a Baptist boy what legal rights I had, I said, this confusion is going to stop. Whatever it was, whether it was infirmity, whether it was financial, whether it was emotional, whatever it was, I said, wait a minute. I, the enemy brings this to discourage me, to confuse me, to, to cause me to just lie down and give up. I said, that's not going to happen anymore. And we started praying together, taking authority over it. Before you have a meal and you're going through a bit of a crisis, pray a little aggressively before you sit down and eat. Pray together at the table. Pray for the kids going to school if there's something amiss going on. You have some rights, legal rights. For God's sake, use them. Don't just sit in church, suck your thumb, and just always say, pray for me, pray for me, pray. Pray, Jude. You're a believer in Christ. You're a king and you're a priest. 
God said so. You have a legal right to healing that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I wonder if it's the Lord's will. I don't know. Let's pray and see if you get well. And if it's not his will, I'll see you in heaven. What do we care? Jeez, I don't know. So Jesus, his arrival on earth was not about man seeking God. Oh, I'm a God chaser. Oh, really? You're confused. It was God seeking man, not man seeking God. We go our own way, the Bible says, like sheep go without a shepherd. We can't lead ourselves properly. And I'm thinking about what bad theology that is. God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? That wasn't for geography. That wasn't for a GPS coordinate. It was like, what's happened to you, boy? I know exactly where you are, but where are you in your heart and spirit? What, what caused you to disobey me, not trust me, see? So God desires to make known his life to us, and he was willing to pay the price, his death on a cross and shed blood to make it happen. Back in 1866 on the Hawaiian island of Molokai, it wasn't very famous as a paradise vacation. It was known for a leper colony. And a Catholic priest named Father Damien went to serve these lepers because no one else was willing to take the risk of contracting this incurable disease at the time. There's a picture of Father Damien up on the screen. But because Christ's love called him there, he obeyed. And he tended to the physical and spiritual needs of these suffering people. And one day, he spilled boiling water on his feet, and he realized when he couldn't feel that in his feet, he had contracted the deadly disease. Later that day, as he rose to preach in his daily chapel service, he began it this time by saying, my fellow lepers. And in that moment, the lepers realized the priest had identified with them, taking their disease on himself. Now, you think of your Savior, Jesus, who identified with you and me, taking my sin upon himself to save me, to save you. What an incredible Savior. Jesus is also wonderful in his presence. This wonderful Jesus can live personally in your life and in mine. And when Jesus comes in, there's a new miraculous, supernatural, wonderful, or awesome dimension that ought to come to your life. The moment you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you've got a forever friend, not a Facebook friend or Instagram friend, but one who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't you ever feel forsaken. People will. Friends will. God says, you have a friend that'll stick closer than a brother in me. I will never leave you. Never forsake. Yeah, but I caused it. He will never leave you or forsake you. He paid a big price for you. He's not going to let you go. So not only is Jesus wonderful, awesome, spectacular, Isaiah goes on to say he is an awesome counselor. The name counselor and the adjective wonderful are filled with meaning. A counselor is one who gives advice, leads, or defends somebody, such as in court. The judge may say, uh, counselor, you may respond. But you better be real careful who you turn to for counsel. Amen. See, two bums were sitting together on a bench. One of them said to the other bum, I'm a man who never took advice from anybody. And the other bum said, shake my hand, old pal. 
for I'm the man who followed everybody's advice. Who are you listening to? See, God has an antidote for a bad report, for something contrary to his word. Now, an antidote is something you take to contradict or turn around and reverse a critical situation in your life. For example, we have antidotes for various poisons, right? Well, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? However, in Christ, I have a counselor who meets all of the qualifications for supplying my need. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalms 1, verse 1. And David writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of Britney Spears, of the ungodly, sorry. Now, I just threw Britney in there. We could throw any entertainer in there. Who are you listening? Well, I saw the Kardashians and what? what? You going to get advice from them? I, I, I mean, who are you listening to? Everybody's listening to somebody. And there are a lot of voices trying to draw me away from God's word and from God's will. Distractions. First words Satan said that are recorded in scripture to Eve was, hath God said. He'll challenge God's word no matter what situation you're in. Well, God doesn't mean that. Oh, that's old-fashioned. God surely is bigger than that. God says heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. Our laws change all the time. Our national laws change all the time. Our government officials change all the time. God said my word will never change. God never said, well, I was misled about that. I guess I'll have to, I'll have to get with the program and moderate my view. No, no, no. If God declared it, it's forever settled in heaven. He said heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. I can take it to the bank. And if you want to build your life on something that won't fall down when all hell goes online in this nation or in your company or in your health or your life, you better build it on something eternal. And Jesus said, it's my word. And if you'll hear my word and do it, you're like the smart guy who built his house, life, marriage, business, on a rock. The storm came, the floods came, the winds came, but the house stood firm. You're not going to blow away when you build it on God's word. However, the Lord's wisdom and counsel is contained also in 66 books of your Bible. You know, he's the author with the highest credentials, and every word he's written was done so to correct, to comfort, to encourage us. Listen to Psalms 119. Verse 105, your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we walk backstage back there, it is as dark as night. You can't even see your feet on the floor. And security guy's got a flashlight, and it just goes down to the feet, and we can see enough not to fall over or run into something. God doesn't give us enough light back there to go all the way to New Braunfels, but enough to walk in your daily path. See? Psalms 100, uh, uh, verse 130, the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. Verse 133, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. So the Lord knows who I am and he still makes himself available to me and you every day. Ask him for guidance. Ask him for wisdom. It can come through the counsel of a good friend. It can come through the word of God. It can come through a sermon. It can come through a song. Uh, it could just come by a prompting of the Holy Spirit right into your mind. But ask him. You have not because you ask not. 
And in the Greek tense, it means keep on asking, seeking, knocking, and finding. It's, it's, it's continuous case in the Greek language. It's not a, well, I asked him one time. No. Even Jesus prayed for one blind man twice. He said, well, how you see, buddy? Well, I see men like trees now. Now let me pray again. He said, now I see all men clearly. So sometimes we have to pray and keep on praying until that deliverance comes. You don't quit. I think our culture has just made us, if it doesn't happen on my schedule as quick as I want, then God probably isn't going to do it. That's wrong. That's wrong. Stay with it. Endure. Fight the good fight of faith. Listen to Isaiah Verse 48, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17 and 18. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of, of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. So who are you listening to? I mean, are you listening to God's word? Or are you listening to a foreign voice? What's driving you into anxiety? What's driving you into depression? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? That's a big revelation. God's word did not give that to you. God's Holy Spirit did not give that to you. You are believing a lie. We're going to go under. I know it. We're going to look at my age. Look at this. Or, well, I, my uncle had that and he died at 67. And you know, I'm 66, so it'll probably happen to me. Shut up. You know, CB radios used to be popular before we had smartphones, and you'd be driving down the highway. Percy, you remember this. We'd say, hey, buddy, got your ears on? I want to say to the church, hey, you got your ears on? It means who's listening to me? Who, who's listening? What report are you going to believe, a bad report or a good report? The only report you're going to get from God is good news. So you better get your ears on. You're listening to a lie that's either coming to you through your mind, but it's coming from the enemy. Stop it. You're not going to die prematurely. You're not going to go under. You're not going to have a mental breakdown on God's watch if you'll simply believe his word and rebuke it. I take authority over you. Confusion, disorder, anxiety, depression. Those are spirits. Rebuke them. Fear is a spirit. God has not given us the spirit of fear. I know you're American. I know you're educated. I know you're intelligent. But all the demons don't live in Africa. We got a few in here right now. They're everywhere. And their one goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Not on my watch. Not on your watch. You resist the image. Satan, you are a liar. I hold the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and the word of God against you. Yeah, he knows it. He knows it very well. And they obey it. During this season, let me invite you. Embrace the one who, when you're at your lowest point, says, come to me. Come to me, you're heavy laden and burdened. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I promise you won't fear any evil, for I will be with you. His shoulders are not only big enough to carry the government of the universe, but your burdens and mine. And if life has lost its mystery and wonder, look to the one who is wonderful counselor. He will not fail you. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. 
I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.